The following message is from King's Church 1066, based in Hastings, Bexhill and the surrounding area. For more information, head to our website, kings1066.org. Good morning. For those of you who don't know me, I'm Natalie, part of the church here for a long, long time. Um, It's great to be here with you this morning. Um, I was just so struck in our worship time that there is power in the name of Jesus. There is power in the name of Jesus. There is no name that is as powerful as his name. Aside from that, though, aside from God, I wonder what you think the most powerful thing in the world is. What do you think? Just have a think for a minute. What's the most powerful thing in the world? I asked Paul Mann during the week. He said maybe a volcano. Michelle Beale said wind. Um, I wondered if it might be something like lightning. But I Googled it. What did we do before we had Google? I Googled it. And um, here's what Google suggested to me. Uh, the first thing was this South Carolina reaper pepper. It does sound ominous, a reaper pepper, doesn't it? Um, I'm not sure it's the most powerful thing in the world, but I'm not willing to test it out either. Um, Then another suggestion from Google was a dung beetle. So how about a dung beetle? Apparently it's stronger than a gorilla and can pull over a thousand times its own body weight, which is basically the equivalent of me holding a blue whale above my head or me holding ten men in the air. Again, not willing to try it out. But maybe when you think of something powerful, maybe you think of something like a Bigfoot monster truck type thing. Um, There's actually a truck that's way more powerful um, than this, though. There's a truck that is powered by a jet engine. It's more powerful than Bigfoot. This truck can reach 376 miles per hour. And that fire is actually coming out the back of it as it does that. Not sure I'd want to be close to that either. Um, I don't know how that compares to the world's biggest dam. The world's biggest dam. Now, this one, you're going to have to stay with me a little bit because I don't even understand some of what I'm about to say. This dam produces 274,000 megawatts of power every single day, which basically means if you think about somewhere like Disney World in Florida... Disney World apparently is the size of Greater Manchester. I didn't know that. That's kind of crazy, isn't it? This dam could power not just Disney World, but the whole city that Disney World is in for two weeks with just one day of its power. On that sort of level, I guess this is a similar thing, but a nuclear reactor, this one is in Lithuania, has enough power to switch on and keep on 15 million light bulbs at the same time time. I don't know which of those is the most powerful because I don't understand some of the numbers involved, I'll be honest with you. But what I do know is that not a single one of these powerful things, no powerful thing that exists on the earth is powerful enough to raise Jesus from the dead. None of those things would be able to do it, yet God is that powerful. God is powerful enough to raise Jesus from the dead. Jesus, who had been brutally executed and was dead and was placed in a tomb, his lifeless body taken from the cross on Friday and placed in a tomb, his body lay there, dead, with not a speck of life to it, 
all day on the Saturday, and then on Sunday, God raised him from the dead. God raised him from the dead. No nuclear reactor or volcano or dung beetle could make one bit of difference to the lifeless body of Jesus in the tomb. None of them. You can power all the light bulbs you like. You would never have enough power to raise Jesus from the dead. You can power the whole of Disney World. doesn't matter what you plug into the lifeless body of Jesus on Saturday you are not going to be able to raise him from the dead. But the God we have been worshipping this morning is powerful and mighty beyond our comprehension. And he could and did raise Jesus from the dead. And our subject this morning isn't actually about is God powerful or not. It's about are we powerful or are we powerless? And it's a weird one because as we've been looking at this identity series, we've been asking two opposites and most of them, the answer's been, I'm not one and I am the other. In this case, we're sort of both because we were powerless to come into relationship with God. We were completely powerless to lift ourselves up out of our sins We were utterly powerless to change our situation, which was actually that we were enemies of God, that we were objects of his wrath, the Bible says, and we were utterly powerless to do anything about that at all. The Bible says we were dead in our sins. And just as there's no power source around us that could raise Jesus from the dead, there was no power source around us. There is no power source within us that could change that situation of us being dead in our sins. And that is why Jesus came. Jesus came to die in our place. And he was raised from the dead by the power of God so that if any of us come to him, put our trust in him and follow him, we can be saved. We can be saved. We were powerless. But one of the astonishing things, one of the... um, good news things about the Christian faith is that though we were powerless, for those of us who have put our faith and trust in Jesus and made him Lord of our lives, we're no longer powerless. We are now full of power by the Holy Spirit. We are full of power. If you've got a Bible with you, you can turn to Ephesians 1. It will come up on the screen for those who haven't or for those who prefer to follow along on the screen. And we're going to read... From Ephesians 1, from verse 15 onwards, what the Apostle Paul writes out, it's his prayer for the Christians in Ephesus. So starting in um, verse 15, Paul writes this. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. 
That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ Jesus from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. What Paul prays here for these Christians, among many other things, I mean, that passage, the whole of Ephesians 1, as we've been looking at it over these weeks, isn't it so rich and so wonderful? It feels like we could probably camp out in it for a couple of years and still keep finding deep truths of God. But the thing I want to focus on is that what Paul prays for these Christians here is that they will know the incomparably great power that we have. And he says that power is the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. The moment in human history when the most power was displayed was when Jesus was raised from the dead. Nothing more powerful since humans existed has ever happened than that moment. And that is the same power that is at work in those of us who have given our lives to Jesus. It's the same power. It's amazing, isn't it? But I don't know if you've ever read that in the Bible and thought, that sounds wonderful. Where is it then? I've done that for sure. I think I've shared this before here that a few years ago, I went through a really difficult season where life felt really, really hard and I was desperate for change. I wanted to change like I wanted myself to change, but I also desperately wanted my circumstances to change as well. I was struggling with a number of things and One of the main ones, um, although there were many, but one of the main ones was this crippling fear of rejection that was affecting every area of my life. And I felt like I would never be free from it. And I remember praying to God in, in real distress and saying, God, your word says that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is at work in me. So where is it? Where is it in my life, God? And and I was coming from a place of, I think, grief and disappointment and anger and frustration. And at the time, I remember telling my counsellor and telling at least one of my friends that I felt like rejection would always have more power over my life than the name of Jesus. I knew what the Bible said, but my experience didn't seem to be matching up to it. And I know for many of us this morning, it might be the same. It might be a different issue. It could be rejection or it could be something else. It it could be an insecurity that you can't shake or it might be a habit that you think, I just can't break it. Or it could be a change you just can't seem to make. Or maybe it's something in your circumstances. It might be something within you or something around you. Maybe you feel like you just can't control your temper or you can't control how much you eat or you can't control your anxieties. A few years ago, I felt like it was impossible for me to even change the habit of how often I snoozed my alarm clock in the morning. I've talked about that before, that I would snooze it for over an hour every day, and I felt powerless to change that, let alone break the hold of rejection on my emotions. Nevertheless, the truth is that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is at work in me. And it's at work in you. And, and so even as I was preparing this, I was thinking, well, what does that look like then? 
Because I think many of us have areas of our life where we're like, we know this to be true in our experience as well as in our minds. But most of us will probably have some areas where we think, why can't I get the same level of breakthrough here? And so one of the things I found really helpful is actually to skip on a bit in Ephesians and to look at Ephesians 3, where Paul writes out another of his prayers for the Christians in Ephesus. Again, it will come up on the screen, um, or you can turn to it in your Bible. So in chapter 3, where Paul writes this, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Now I just want to be clear that I absolutely do believe that God's power can change us in a moment. I've seen that in my own life um, in some areas. So uh, when, after I became a Christian when I was 15, I, I went away from God for a number of years a little bit later on. And when I came back to God in my mid-20s, one of the things I noticed is that I stopped swearing instantly. Prior to that, I had been very foul-mouthed, almost every other word. And actually, I stopped swearing instantly. But I didn't stop smoking instantly. My addiction to nicotine wasn't broken in the same way that my potty mouth was broken. Actually, it took me eight attempts over many, many months to give up smoking. I still believe the power of God was at work in me in both things that I wanted to change. One happened instantly, one happened over time. And I, we have to trust the wisdom of God to that because God's priority for us is maturity in Christ. And so some things he will break in a moment. Other things, the journey is just as important as the destination because of how much deeper we go with Jesus in that process. Similarly for me, 18 months ago, I decided I would stop snoozing my alarm clock and I haven't done it since. Now, I tried that many times over the years, and I don't know in one sense what the difference was, but when I decided to do it 18 months ago, I thought that I would me- I thought I'd fall into it. I mean, that's not necessarily a sin. It's just a habit I wanted power to break. I wanted the pa- same power that raised Jesus from the dead to break the power of snoozing my alarm. It's a tiny thing, but I knew it would make a massive difference to my life. I've tried it many times over 30 years of being a Christian, and yet somehow 18 months ago, I haven't done it since. But there are other areas of my life, like procrastinating, where I just don't seem to have the same self-control or power. You know, I mean, I've known that I was going to preach on this subject probably since September, maybe even earlier than that, and I still wrote the talk this week. That is, you know, Paul makes jokes about it, um, you know, when when I'll write it. But actually, I would love God to break that instantly I would love God to just almost you know just I wake up tomorrow and I never procrastinate again and I've been asking him to do that but he hasn't done it 
I'm a work in progress. But one thing I have found is that when I focus on my habits or I focus on my sins or I focus on my addictions, that is rarely where I find any power to change. When I fix my eyes on those things, funnily enough, nothing happens. It's like me staring at this chair and trying to move it with my mind. It doesn't matter how much I do that. If I fix my eyes on it, it's not going anywhere, is it? But when I fix my eyes on Jesus, things start to change. Not at the speed that I would like them to, not always at the pace I want them to, but actually when I fix my eyes on Jesus, when I dwell on him, and and what I mean by dwelling on him isn't just thinking about him for five minutes. I mean when I dwell deeply, daily, over weeks and months, when I dwell on Jesus and his love for me, I find, almost without me noticing, that the power of God is at work in my life. And that's what Paul prays here in Ephesians 3 that we may have power to grasp how high and wide and deep and long is the love of Christ and to know that love. He's not praying that we'll just know it in our heads. He's not praying that we'll just know it like a fact, like, yeah, Jesus, I know you love me. He's praying that we will know it deep in our hearts, our minds, our souls, that we will grasp hold of it, that we will know it, and then we'll be filled with the fullness of God. I have no real idea what that means, filled with the fullness of God, but I know it sounds wonderful and I want it. And when we do that, when we grasp the love of God, transformation comes. And we may not even notice it happening day by day, but we suddenly find things like our our tastes have changed, our appetites have changed. We no longer have the appetite for certain sins uh, that we had before. Maybe it's jealousy, envy, greed, gluttony, pride, lust, gossip. These things, as we fix our eyes on Jesus and his incredible love for us, and as we grasp it and we know it, we find those things become distasteful to us almost like we're repelled by them. And it's not to say we never make mistakes, but there's just something within us where it's like, I don't want to do those things. I don't want to venture in that direction. We find our hunger for Jesus grows and grows and grows. Whilst at the same time, in a kind of weird paradox, our hunger for him grows and we find ourselves more satisfied in him. This is the power that the Holy Spirit wants us to, wants to give to us this morning, this power to grasp the incredible, astonishing love that God has for us. That he knows us, he loves us, he wants us, he chose us. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead is at work within us to help us grasp how magnificent his love is for us. And for me, this has transformed the way I pray. I do still pray and say, God, change me. I do still pray and say, God, help me with this, help me with that, make me different here, help me with this heart attitude or this habit or what have you. I do still repent of sin, you'll be pleased to know. Um, I still bring specific habits and thought patterns to God and I ask him to bring change. But more than any of those things, my prayer life is a lot more now about dwelling on the love of God about fixing my eyes on Jesus, about asking him to work his power in my heart, mind and soul so that I might truly grasp and truly know how loved I am.
how wanted I am, how much he delights in me, that he rejoices over me with singing, that I am Christ's beloved, that Christ Jesus has made me his own. And as I'm grasping these things in deeper ways, I'm finding that some of those habits are just falling by the wayside. Some of them a bit more hard work. And actually, that's part of the journey we go on where we co-labor with Christ, sometimes for transformation in our own lives. Recently, I've been in the habit of praying from Romans 5, verse 5, which tells us that basically the Holy Spirit pours the love of God into our hearts. That's one of the jobs of the Holy Spirit, is that he pours the love of God into our hearts. He pours it. It's not a trickle. It's not like, here's your little measure for today. It is poured into our hearts. And that is where the power for transformation comes. Even if all we do in 2024 is pray through these passages of Scripture in Ephesians 1 and 3, this part from 1, it's not even a whole verse there, it's half a verse from Romans 5, verse 5. If we daily come before God and just pray these things over our own lives, we will find power, resurrection power, transforming us as we get to know Jesus better. But one of the reasons I think it's poured out is so that it can overflow. We're not supposed to keep it all for ourselves. It's supposed to overflow and come out of us. God does want us to grasp and know his love. He does want us to know the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. But it's not just for our own sake, it's for the sake of others too. He wants us to know that for those of us who follow Jesus, while we were powerless, we now are full of power. And he wants us to know that so that we can bring power to others. We can bring the love of Christ to others. God doesn't just want us to know it for our own sakes. He wants us to empower other people as well. And he wants us, I believe, to empower each other in the family of believers. But he also wants us to empower others outside in our community as well. One of the things Paul Mann said last week when he preached, uh, which really struck me, was God is a power-sharing God. God is a power-sharing God. God Almighty, the most powerful one, the one we've been worshipping this morning, singing about, he reigns over all things. He is powerful. He's a name above every name. He likes to share his power. That's so countercultural, isn't it? In our society, there's a lot of power grabbing or holding on to power or wanting to increase your power so that you've got more and more power. You don't want to let go of power. But God, the Almighty One, says, actually, I delight to share my power with my people. He loves to do it. We see it throughout the Bible. Just let me touch on a couple of places. One is Adam, the first human created, where God says to Adam, you know, um, why don't you name the animals? Adam didn't need God to do that for him. God could have done that himself. But actually, God wanted Adam to participate in his work, to participate in his plans, to share his power. God delegated authority and power to Adam. It, God got Noah to build the ark. Again, God didn't need Noah to do it. God could have just made an ark himself. He made everything else, so he could have just plonked an ark right there, couldn't he? But God wants to share his power. He wants to say, you come and you participate and you be part of what I'm doing, part of my purposes and plans. And it's the same with all the kings and prophets and armies of the Old Testament. 
God didn't need any of them. He's mighty enough to do whatever he wants, but he chooses to share his power with people and involve us in his purposes. And Jesus did this too. Jesus did it too. When Jesus turned water into wine, Jesus asked the servants to fill the jars with water. I was thinking about that recently. I wonder why he did that, because he could have made wine out of nothing. And in some ways, that would, it would have been just as an astonishing a miracle, wouldn't it, if he'd just made wine out of nothing? He could have just had empty jars, but he involved the servants. And actually, they're the ones who got to take the wine out to the guy running the wedding. So they're the ones who got to say, here's the wine. And then he discovered it's the best wine, better than anything had come before. When feeding thousands of people, Jesus first asked his disciples, you feed them. He wanted them to do it. He wanted them to be part of it. And even when they said that they couldn't, Jesus still involved them. He got them organising the crowds. He got them distributing the food. And he got them to carry, uh, pick up the leftovers so that they would see the size of the miracle that Jesus had done. When there were so many leftovers, there was a basket of leftovers, enough for each disciple when thousands had just been fed. Jesus sent his disciples out with power and authority to heal the sick, raise the dead, preach the good news. He sent them out. And it wasn't just his closest 12. There were 72 he sent out and said, you go, you go do the work. You go do it. And they came back excited to tell Jesus of all that they had been able to do with his power running through them. And he gave us the great commission to take the gospel to the ends of the earth, to make disciples of all people. And when the Holy Spirit fell on his first followers, they were empowered to do the works of God, even greater things than Jesus himself did. God is a power-sharing God, and his power and love are supposed to be poured into our hearts so they can overflow to those around us. We get to participate in our own growth, our own transformation, our own change. But more than that, we get to participate in the change of others and even whole communities and nations. One of the ways we do that is by praying. And that's why the week of prayer is so important because we have an opportunity there to actually work with God. And we don't just pray, we then come out from that place more filled, more equipped by his Holy Spirit to bring his power to our communities. God gives us ways to change. We get to learn his word, learn from the Bible. We get to forgive those who sin against us. We get to renew our minds. We, we get to be accountable to each other and to walk with each other. But God also wants to imitate us to imitate him in power sharing with those around us. That's why in Isaiah 61, it says that, you know, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me to bring good news to the poor, to bind up the brokenhearted, to bring release um, to the captives and so on. But it actually says that those who are vulnerable or marginalized or oppressed or brokenhearted or mourning in any way, get to be those who go on to renew, rebuild and restore others. God empowers us not just to change in our own lives, but to be agents of change in the lives of others and including the community around us. Almighty God, the all-powerful one, delights to redistribute his power, to share it with us, to empower us that we might bless and serve others. I wonder if the band might come back up, if that's all right. God is powerful 
And those of us who are in Christ are no longer powerless, but we are now full of power. We have the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. I wonder if, can we just stand? Is that right? I wonder if you just want to close your eyes and if you're happy to lift up your hands. I believe God just wants to come and do some stuff among us today. And, it, and it, for some of us, it might be instantaneous power and change. But for many of us, I think it's going to be grasping something more of his incredible love for us. And I just want to read these things, these last few points that I was going to say, we're in a context of us having our eyes closed, our, our hands open. God is powerful. Those of us who are in Christ are no longer powerless, but we are powerful. We are full of power. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead is at work in us right now today. This power enables us by the Holy Spirit to grasp how loved we are by God and to be filled with his fullness. The Holy Spirit is here this morning to continue his work of pouring the love of God into our hearts so that it overflows. The world around us grabs at power and fights to keep it and expand it. But the one who is most powerful of all came in humility to die on a cross and share his power with us. For those of us who are in Christ, we are called to know how loved we are. And from that place, we are called to empower others. God, we come before you this morning and we say we want to fix our eyes on Jesus again. Holy Spirit, would you come and do your work? The thing you love to do of helping us grasp how high and how wide and how deep and how long is the love of Christ. Would you come, Holy Spirit, and continue to transform us from the inside out? And God, would you propel us out that we might participate in your work? What a joy, God, that we get to do it. That we might share your love and power with others. Would you empower us to be changed and to be change bringers? In Jesus' name, amen.